The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 2, 23-28, and 3, 1-6. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? or do harm, to save life or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Hannah. Well, we are continuing in this series in Mark's Gospel, and we're looking at Jesus as our burden lifter today. And, uh, you know, it strikes me that that if you're going to walk a path of spirituality, uh, if you're going to associate yourself with a spiritual tradition, you are immediately stepping into something that is easily turned into a series of burdens, easily. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't really matter which side of the um, spectrum you're on. You can turn your, um, your, your legalism can, can be a very conservative-looking legalism, and it can be a very liberal-leaning legalism as well. Uh, it's very easy for the older uh, brother... Um, it's very easy to become, you know, the prodigal son parable, uh, where there's the older brother who looks down on the younger brother. It can be very easy to become an older brother who looks down on other older brothers. Um, and, 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 and anyway, so, so as we're getting into this passage of Scripture, it is, it is one of, of many passages in the Gospels where Jesus confronts religious leadership. And it's also a passage where I've, I've been praying... Uh, and asking the Lord to, uh, to just guide us through this because um, it's, it's a passage where you see religious nationalism happening. Uh, and we planned this sermon series a, a long time ago, and, and it's, it's where we are, and so there are some things we're going to say about that. Um, and uh, 
frankly, makes me a little nervous uh, to, to wade into those waters, and yet we have the authority and the beauty of Scripture and the words of Jesus which tell us, listen, the law of God is summarized in two basic commands. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and everything you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so with those as guiding principles for us, Let's look at how Jesus lifts our burdens, because if you're like me, you've probably, you're probably feeling a, a, a layer of burden uh, from the last year that is not the norm. Uh, there's just been so many things that have been heavy uh, that we've had to carry in the, in the last year. And so I want to start with this question and just, just put it out there for us to think about and chew on, and that is, what is the purpose of religion? What's the purpose of religion? What's the purpose of faith? Now, I'm going to use the word religion a lot in this uh, message, and I don't, I'm not going to use it in an exclusively pejorative way, uh, because I think that it's, it is fair to describe the Christian practice and the Christian faith as a religion, but it's also helpful sometimes to make the distinction um, that you can turn anything into a religion. Uh, and that is just a belief system that you associate your kind of eternal destiny to and then practice it and carry it out. Um, but what is the purpose of faith? A few weeks ago, I watched in dismay as thousands of people stormed our nation's Capitol building as Congress was convening to certify the results of the 2000, uh, 2020 election. And one of the things that you will see in nearly every photograph of the crowds are flags. And these flags, you will see flags that are bearing the name of Jesus. In most photos you see, you'll see flags bearing the name of Jesus. And what that tells us is that many of the people who participated in that event, for many of them, their zeal to overturn the election results was in some way tied to their understanding of religion. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the purpose of religion. For, for millennia, people have used religion for all kinds of purposes, some even for violence. But it's really important as we get into this that I, that I ask us all, let's, let's, let's listen and follow and engage from the perspective of examining our own hearts um, and not uh, kind of ironically doing the opposite thing that, we're, that this passage is calling us to, and that is just heaping more uh, contempt on others, okay? So I am convinced that no matter where you stand, there will be things in this passage that will be good fodder to challenge your own heart and mind. So, let's do that. Let's examine this passage. Uh, let's examine our own hearts through the context of this passage. Mark gives us two examples in a row of Jesus and his disciples doing things that the religious leaders believed were against Sabbath law. The religious leaders here um, really are the Pharisees. They're identified in verse 24 as the Pharisees. Uh, and the Pharisees were the um, cultural religious leadership. They held no political power, but they held political influence. Uh, and so they, 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 they were upset with Jesus because there were two things that Jesus did here that they perceived were against Sabbath law. 
And more specifically, they were against Sabbath tradition and custom. Uh, And the two things were plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath and then also healing on the Sabbath. And to them, it was a very black and white scenario. Plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath was, plucking heads of grain was a form of harvesting. Harvesting is, of course, a form of work, and work is forbidden on the Sabbath. And so for the disciples to do that, they were violating one of the commands in their minds. The second account gives us really deeper insight into the religious leader's use of the law, and that is Jesus heals a man. He heals a man who has a withered hand, and he does it on the Sabbath, and he does it knowing it's on the Sabbath. And they regard, the religious leadership, regard his miracle as a violation of the Sabbath too. Because to the religious leaders, both of these acts are inexcusable. Why? Because they don't conform to the order that the Pharisees have been fighting so hard to impose on people in the name of leading them in fidelity to God. And so, in order, this this was an order that was established, um, that was in order to establish them as the cultural and spiritual thought leaders, and everybody else then as people who would look up to them for guidance, who would aspire to their way of thinking in order to be approved. Now, you may say that's pretty harsh. Maybe that's a harsh way of treating it. I, I don't think it is, and and as much as I can say this. Um, as much as you might believe, as much as you can believe me on this, I don't have an axe to grind this morning uh, on this subject. It's just I'm, I'm wanting to unpack it because, man, every single one of us is having to wrestle with how how do you carry yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ in our country at this moment when there are so many opinions about this and. Religious leadership is taking it on the chin. And in this passage and in the Gospels, Jesus and the religious leadership are at odds with each other consistently. And it's not too harsh because we don't need to look any further than the way Jesus consistently spoke about the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And what he said about them was he said they were poisonous. He said they were predatory on the minds and hearts of people, that they would hang millstones around the necks of children and drown them in suffocating law. Like he used these kinds of terminology. And the terminology and the things that they said about Jesus was no less intense. Even in this passage, we see that they were trying to trap him in order to destroy him, right? So so this was not a pleasant relationship that Jesus had with the religious, the publicly religious leaders of the day. And our text shows that. It shows that they were committed to trapping Jesus so that they might accuse him. In verse 2, why? In verse 6, to destroy him. And so I belabor this point because the Pharisees in Jesus' day were people who used religion. They used religious language, including the name of God, to control people. And when that couldn't happen, then to cancel people. And this was to the point, as we see in this passage, that hungry people couldn't eat and physically suffering people couldn't, uh, and disabled people couldn't be healed if it happened to be on the Sabbath. 
And all of this happened while waving the flag that they were God's appointed protectors of the truth. So this is what comes with conflating religion with a right to power. When you conflate your religion with a right to power, what we'll do is we will use the law of God to command God and to command others by saying, I'm going to tell you what the rules are, and I am going to also keep the rules that I tell you are there, and I'm going to keep them to the letter, and because I know the rules and I keep them to the letter, I am then entitled to power, and I'm entitled to what I want. And it's a form of believing the lie that Satan spoke in the garden to Adam and Eve, because Satan told Adam and Eve that God was withholding something from them. That when God withheld the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was because he meant to restrict them. And so turning to rule making and then rule keeping as a form of religion, as a way of saying to God, I'm going to crack the code, and that code, and cracking that code is going to obligate you to give me what I want. And it'll obligate people to follow me or to be cast into an us versus them dichotomy where we hold people in contempt in our minds and in our hearts and in our society. And we we see that. We see that now. And it happens, and it has happened to some degree in any political party. It's happened in some degree in every cultural society. It's happened in some degree in every religious establishment and organization. And at the heart of this, I believe, is a misunderstanding of the purpose of God's law. When we make adherence to God's law the basis on which we relate to him, so I'm going to say that again, when we make adherence to God's law the basis on which we relate to him, law becomes a burden. It becomes a burden. It is the thing we must do in order to be welcome. And in that system, we will try to figure out how to crack that code, and we will easily put that burden on others then too. And we think that that's really the point of the faith that we're embracing is controlling behavior. But what if the point isn't control, and what if the point is instead freedom? The law of God leads us to freedom. We doing okay? We tracking? Are we all right? I'm in my head a little bit right now, and I'm going to keep going because Brad Davis is shaking me off, and he's saying you're fine. Okay. Without Jesus, and I'm a nine on the Enneagram. Like right now, I feel like, oh, I'm being real inflammatory. And most people are thinking, this is the most gentle, subtle I'm self-aware, I guess. Um, Without Jesus and the Holy Spirit changing hearts, the law is going to lead us to judgment because nobody can keep it. Nobody ever has. Nobody ever has. There's no good news in a gospel of second chances because we've all blown past that second chance. It's miles in the rear view, right? But what James 1.25 tells us is, is that with Jesus, the law leads us to freedom. And it leads us to freedom because Christ has kept the law. For us, And so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ 
on us. And so when we seek to obey the law, not to obtain power or favor from God, and certainly not to control other people and conform them to our side, but when we look to the law to walk in the way that the Lord has said is for our good, that leads us to freedom, and that is life-giving. But when you're doing that, you, it's impossible to do that. It's impossible to walk according to the law of God because you know it leads to freedom because of the mercy and grace that he has extended to you. It is impossible to do that and to also at the same time hold large cross-sections of people in contempt in your heart. You just can't do both at the same time. Notice when Jesus' disciples are picking grain, Jesus defends them. But his defense is he's not playing the Pharisees' game. He's not saying, he's not defending them. His defense is not that they are um, out of accord with the traditional Sabbath observance, but he's not, saying, he's not saying, no, they're not out of accord with the traditional Sabbath observance. He's saying, he's, he's conceding the point that they are actually out of accord with the traditional custom. But his defense of them is this. He says, yeah, but they're with the king. They're with the king. And that takes precedent over the traditions and the customs. That's what he refers to when he refers to David's men picking grain when they were with the king. For those whose religion is a self-serving religion, when it's a system to follow in order to get things, following the rules is what matters most because that's how you get things. The stricter the adherence, the better the practitioner. That's when the practice of your faith is a little bit like skee-ball, right? Where you're just trying to get as many tickets as you possibly can for that dumb thing that caught your eye that you didn't know you ever wanted, but now you're consumed with it. And so you're just trying to get better and better and better and better at skee-ball because it's all that matters in the moment. The stricter the adherence, the better the practitioner. But Jesus, what he does is he puts himself on equal footing with King David here for the Pharisees, which to them would have been inflammatory. And he puts him on equal footing with King David in terms of royalty and says that he actually possesses the right to bypass convention when the people that he's with are hungry. And also he has the right to heal when his people are suffering. And this is not a violation of the Sabbath. That's Jesus' point. His point is this is not a violation of the Sabbath. In fact, it is an honoring of the purpose of the Sabbath. Because what is the purpose of the Sabbath? Renewal. It's renewal. And so the Sabbath is all about restoration and recovery and rest and repair. But the Pharisees are so concerned with regulation that they don't care about those who are suffering in their midst, which actually ironically reveals their own profound need for healing. Galatians 5.1 says that for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and Paul says, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is a command for Christians. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he's not talking about a political slavery. And he's not talking about a cultural slavery. He's talking about a spiritual one. He's saying you've been set free 
to know that you are righteous in the sight of God, that your sins have been washed away, that you are atoned for, that you are redeemed. Don't you dare put on a cloak that says none of those things are true and that you're going to do this a different way. Religion can be a yoke of slavery, conflating Christianity with political or cultural agendas that separate people into us and them based on ideology can be a yoke of slavery. But Jesus tells us he's a burden lifter. He's a burden lifter. And in fact, he tells us that he alone is our righteousness so that we have nothing to fear, we have nothing to prove, we have nothing to hide. And we see it in the passage. Jesus does not regard Sabbath regulation and custom and tradition as a reason to refrain from feeding the hungry and healing the broken. He uses the existence of the Sabbath as his reason for feeding the hungry and healing the broken. The Lord intends for us to know restoration and recovery and rest and healing. After all this happens, something startling happens. I, I used the term, and I was careful to use the term, re religious nationalism, because it happens here. And I want to show you where it happens. And I want you to see it, because it's, it, it, it's, it's as old as Scripture and before. And we see it happen in verse 6, where the Pharisees' response to Jesus' actions and to words, and his words, is to make a plan to destroy him. How do they do it? They team up with a political movement, the Herodians, to do it. I'm going to read the verse just so we know. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Here's the thing you need to know about the Pharisees and the Herodians. They were not on the same page. They did not like each other. They were antithetically opposed to each other for philosophical reasons that ran pretty deep. They were both groups of Jewish people, but the Pharisees' vision for Israel was that Rome would be overthrown and gone and that the descendants of Abraham would rule the land. The Herodians, their vision was we probably won't be able to do anything about Rome, but maybe what we can do is preserve a line where one of our own is actually governing for Rome in our place. And so they were kind of looking at, they were, they were basically in favor of, of, of having Jewish leaders on the line of Herod. So the Pharisees wanted Rome out, the Herodians wanted one of their own in Roman authority. So that was the distinction between the two of them. These are not people that get along or see eye to eye with each other, yet the Pharisees come to them. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they come to them? Because they have a religious agenda but they need political power to see that religious agenda accomplished. And so they collaborate. It's an early example of it, of, of religious nationalism, collaborating with governmental authorities to obtain power in order to compel people to yield to your religious desires. And the gospel moves us away from that. The gospel moves us away from dividing the world into two groups of people, the good people who are like us and the bad people who are not like us. I remember as a kid, when we'd go to church, we'd get out of the car, and as we were walking in, my dad would say, did we lock the car? 
And I, you know, well, some of us would say, we're a church. And he would say, ah, the good people are inside, the bad people are outside. <laughs> that was the rationale for locking the car. It's funny, like, how, how that can get its theological hooks in you, right? You can, you can you, you, as I got older, I started, wait, there's something problematic with what he said, but I don't know what it is. And I have to think about this now, right? But the gospel moves us away from dividing the world into those two groups of people, the good people who are on the inside and the bad people who are on the outside. And instead what it does is it puts us all into one group, and that is a group who desperately need what only Christ can give. And the question is, are we receiving from him? And if we're receiving from him, we're following him in his way. And we're following him in the law that he gives, which he summarizes as saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so my prayer for us as we look at this, as we look at this passage, which is one of many where there's a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders because he's, he's diverting from tradition and from custom and from ideology, but he is very much upholding the perfection of the law of God. My prayer is that the Lord would teach us to keep the Sabbath as our Lord kept it. And the way that he kept it was this way, caring for the hungry and the broken, caring for the poor, seeking to lift burdens rather than put burdens on, and seeking to walk in the freedom that knows that we are with the King that we're with the king and what he wants for us is our restoration and our repair and our rest. When our basis for relating to God comes through keeping the law, the law is going to be a burden. But when the basis for our relating to God comes by way of righteousness and invitation that Christ alone gives, the law of God then is meant to be a source of our peace and our joy and a message that we're proclaiming to as many who will hear it, anyone can get in on this. And so may that then be the motive for our obedience, and may it crush in us any contempt that we would feel toward people for ideological or political, or dare I say, even religious reasons. And may it move us into a deeper love for God and others, which is the summary of the entire law according to the one who redeems us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that one of the things that we see in Scripture is that the things that we struggle with, the burdens that we carry, the uh, things that we wrestle with uh, as a society are not new. Uh, there's really nothing new under the sun. And uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would lead us in all humility Make us people of conviction. Make us people who have a zeal for you. But Lord, check us when our conviction and our zeal moves us to holding others in contempt, uh, when it moves us to vitriol and hate and divisiveness. Uh, Lord, would you, would you help us to have the humility to examine our own hearts, to see where this may be residing in us, uh, because it doesn't matter which side of a political continuum we're on or which side of, of, a, of a cultural continuum we're on. We, we all have the capacity for this. And, and, it's, and it's a lifelong battle this side of the grave. 
uh, in some measure for every single one of us. And so, Lord, would you give us a sense of your mercy and your kindness, and would that then form uh, the way that we love and serve others around us? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.